Hi, this is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer with Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital, DeSoto. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Today, I'm so incredibly excited. We have a good friend, Kyle Kumpf today, and he's going to be talking about driving improvement in the financial services area. But for those that maybe aren't familiar with your work, Kyle, tell us a little bit about your background, where you work at now, and some of the types of work that you're involved in. Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on the the show today. Um, I'm an engineer by training, went to school to be an engineer, uh, worked as an engineer right out of school, and then went into do through that work got introduced to lean and continuous improvement um, and then left that role in the distribution and logistics space went out to do my own consulting for a couple of years and then woke up one morning and i was working for a, a bank holding company um, everyone i talked to that says that they work in the banking industry they, they never planned on it it just seems to happen they get a job there and then they stay there and that's the space that I've been in for the past uh, seven years now um, in various different roles um, for uh, HTLF, a bank holding company. We, hold, we have banks between Illinois all the way out to California. Well, Kyle, once again, thank you very much for being here. And I was so excited to hear about uh, that we were going to be talking about continuous improvement in the financial sector because, believe me, my finances could really use <laughs> some uh, some continuous improvement. but. Uh, but to tell us a little bit about your journey. I, I did. I was reading your biography where you you got a degree and I think it was package packaging engineering, which is that Correct. sounds very, very interesting. But uh, did you get into continuous improvement when you were doing that type job and just carried it over into the financial sector or tell us a little bit about how it began? Yeah, so in my first role out of college. Um, uh, it was working for a, a distribution company, and they had actually um, ceased operations in one warehouse and had merged that into another one that was kind of nearby. Um, and so they, that warehouse that had closed was about 200,000 square feet, and they were trying to merge that into a space in another larger warehouse of about, I don't know, half that size, maybe 100,000 square feet. So as you can imagine, you're cutting the space in half, but you still got to move the same, about actually more product out of that space. Um, and that's where I got introduced to a, a process engineer there who was very familiar with Lean. He had used it when he had managed a, a bakery operation and gave me the book Lean Thinking. He said, I'll read this. And as you read it, we'll start kind of implementing stuff um, to try and address this new challenge that we have here. And I, I, I loved it. I read the book in about four days. I couldn't put it down. And I'm like, yeah, where do we start? And, and so he kind of started. He was my, my first mentor. On that journey and then once i left that company i just continued to use what i learned there and built upon it and i, I still use it today as much as possible and it applies everywhere physical environments or in the, in the service industry like, like banking yeah let, let's talk a little bit about the service industry um you know like H, hf was saying physicians uh, most of us know very very little about the financial industry or the financial services industry so uh, first of all, maybe just give us a little brief tutorial about the sort of work that you do on a daily basis and then take us into how you've used uh, lean and continual improvement to improve it. Uh, you know, my 
initial thought would be this these industries have been around for forever surely they figured it out already um so what can we bring to them that's new um to help drive improvement uh, actually i would say healthcare is probably further along on the continuous hmm. improvement journey than what i've seen in in, in banks um but I, I do see a lot of banks um, i think they're they're progressing much faster than than maybe healthcare did um so they're they're catching up um, which is good. I think everyone's kind of learning from each other and figuring, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Um, when I first came here, I started off as a process improvement manager, and I sent it was myself and um, my my manager were the two the two process guys, and we kind of went to whatever department needed help solving a problem. We'd be the guys that would go in and, and help them do that. Um, basic. Uh, so I, I've I had gotten exposure to, so prior to coming, my my experience with banking was, okay, I have a checking account, so I've had loans, like I know that part of it as a customer, but actually what happens behind the scenes, I really had no idea. Um, so it was a great learning opportunity for me to bring that engineering mindset that what happens in a bank's back office is very much like a assembly line. We're not assembling cars, but we're taking information and assembling it into a decision. Do we make a loan or not? Or do we open up this checking account for this customer? Um, and so I got to go around to several departments um, on the lending side of the business, primarily small business, um, mortgage and uh, commercial lending. And I got to, to learn all about what they do. How, how do we come to these decisions of uh, one, do we make a loan or not? But then two, OK, we're going to make it. Then oh, how does that work? How do we actually disperse the money? And then what happens after that? Um, so my head was on a, a spindle just just following the process um, and then trying to document it and then socializing it with the people doing the work and saying, you know, am I capturing this correctly? Um, so I did a lot of process mapping up front. And um, one interesting thing came out of that. When when you put stuff like that on a big wall and show people, you know, if you were to, because all I did was follow the loan. I followed the, the paper, quote unquote, the paper, and it was, you know, mostly in a computer. Um, this is what, from the time someone says, yes, I, I want a loan and the RM submits the information back to the, you know, the lend the credit administration to underwrite it. Here's where it goes. It goes through all these different steps and it stays within our, our wall sometimes. Sometimes it goes back out for missing information, comes back in, we do some more work with it. And you start seeing all these feedback loops of, or trying to capture missing information so we can proceed with this, this loan. Um, and that was eye-opening to people because most of them knew, here's what I do. They had that tunnel vision. Here's what I do. But I really don't know what happens before me and after me. And that was very eye-opening to them to, to see the whole process end to end and how what happens early on can actually impact stuff, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten steps down the line that they never would have known about. Um, so I went along doing a lot of activities like that and just asking the people, okay, well, here's the current state of the process. Maybe we get some measures around it about how long it takes something to get through. And um, that was the other, other interesting thing. They would see, oh, we're, we're only actually touching a loan 5% of the time it's in, it's in the queue. The rest of the time it's sitting, doing nothing. Um, you know, it was a big lopsided thing like that. So it wasn't so much about how do we make doing the work faster. It was about how do we make the wait time go down? Because <laughs> um, that's, that's where the customer is going to feel that end-to-end -end decision time um, shrink. Um, and so I would just work with them about, okay, so what's, why is it waiting? What, what's getting in the way of it moving along? Um, then we'd come up with ideas and, and potential countermeasures and, and go along from there. 
So you, you you basically had a value stream map and you looked for waste and and you you, you trimmed you know that, that that's what we talk about when in the value stream is we don't necessarily make the the value added things faster we actually take away the waste that mm-hmm. that shouldn't be there in the first place but do you was it easier for you to see those those areas of waste being an outsider? meaning not not being involved in the in the financial sector at all initially because we have a we have an industrial engineering that works for skip and 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 when she first started she she was not medical at all but you know it was so much easier for her to to spot the areas of waste than it was for us because that was just something that we we were doing all the time and we didn't really know any different yes i think that did help um, because one, I like I said, I didn't know really anything that happened behind the scenes, so I was constantly asking questions. Uh, I remember when I was doing some observations to get the process mapping done, I, I saw um, on each you know, underwriter's desk there'd be a, a little basket with papers in it. And I would just, well, what's this? Well, those are deals that are waiting. Oh, okay. So one, I didn't know we had a bunch of paper stuff involved. I thought it was mostly on the computer. Okay, so I learned that. Well, you know, then that led to discussions. Well, why is it waiting? Well, it's waiting on this person who happens to be on vacation, but they need to review this and, and approve it or something. Well, is that the is that the final approval? No, that's not the final approval. That's just one of the approvals. Okay, so that kind of led in the path of getting to the countermeasures as to well, why is this waiting time built in here? Well, it's things like this. Um, so that 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 really made it easy for me to start. You know, I. I I probably asked way too many questions. <laughs> there are some people I felt that I asked way too many questions, um, but that's how we really started. Uh, even the people who had been doing the work for years, they started to realize, oh, I never really thought about this. Um, this, this is what's driving our customers' experience here, and and uh, we we need to you know get this work. We want to get the work done effectively. We don't want to just make poor decisions. We want to get the right information, but uh, we shouldn't have all this work just sitting around. So. Um, yeah, I found that very helpful that I, I, I came in as a, an outsider. So, you know, we have, a, a I think, a similar issue in healthcare with when we send out um, bills and claims to to insurance companies. And so we have that back and forth process. We have the, this concept called days in AR where we're waiting for for the insurer to, to pay part of this uh, claim. And you know, from from my side of things, I, I I have no concept of what that process looks like. Um, you know, and I, I've gotten um, a, a little lecture on revenue cycle once, and it, it was just it was it was way too many steps, and my mind hurt after thinking about it for a little while. But you know, when we think about how to improve that piece, um, a lot of us, you know don't really look at the process. We we think about, oh, it's just the insurers taking dragging their feet and not paying the the, the claim or they're finding a reason not to do it. Uh, what were some of the things that you found when you were going through this process of, of ways to decrease that wait time? <clears throat> um, actually, I think it would be helpful if I go into some specifics of one role I had um, where I, I managed a department. So I was now no longer a individual contributor, I was now responsible for an entire department that was critical in the organization um, on the deposit side of the business. Um, and you know, long story short, it's the, the the people that were there have been there quite a while. And the average tenure was over 10 years per individual. The, the manager that I took over for moved elsewhere in the company and she had been the one who had built the department up. Um, 
so there's a lot of tribal knowledge in it. And I came in knowing, you know, again, I had been working on the lending side of the business. Now I was on the deposit side. A whole new world for me. So I knew nothing about how they do their work. And I'm, I'm responsible for managing them and, and uh, leading this department. And uh, that, that about the time I went in is actually when I got introduced to the, the book, Creating Effective Management Systems, through a local friend of mine here. He said, hey, I picked this book up, started reading it. Uh, I kind of need a, a, a buddy to keep me honest, to keep me reading it, so you want to read it with me? Sure. So I picked it up and started reading it, and I couldn't put it down. <laughs> and I'm like, wait there a you second. Go, Skip. I, know, I, I know about this type of stuff. I'm familiar with strategy deployment and TWI and Kata. <laughs> Um, but, you know, no pun intended, but this, the book helped me connect the dots. And I'm like, wait, I'm having this challenge here in this new department. Um, what can I use out of here to kind of put together the, you know, my way for for leading this department and, and engaging them and, and continually improving what the work that they do. Um, and so through that, just as an example, we, we, I, I couldn't go to the entire org and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to start using Hoshin Connery because uh, they looked at me like, what, what are you talking about? Um, but I had my my little sphere of influence within my department, so we made a department A3. We we knew what the ask was from the higher levels, which our big challenge was um, figure out how to absorb more work without hiring more resources to do it. Um, good or bad, that was our challenge. And so we started digging into our our work, and you know we we found that we already weren't hitting our our turnaround times for. Um, Work tickets, for example, this department does a lot of work requests to do maintenance on accounts or things like that. <clears throat> and um, so through that, we got a baseline of where we are. We we're missing our, we we're getting work done on time about half the time. And so then we started doing some reflections. Okay, so what's what? What are we doing well that's helping us get things right half the time? And then what's getting in the way, um, you know, the other half of the time? And we came up with some. Uh, we, we basically found that we were able to tie, because um, the workforce was hourly, we were able to tie, okay, if I have X amount of uh, labor hours per day, we tend to hit our targets. I don't remember what the exact number was, but I'll just call it 100 hours a day. If I have people clocked in 100 hours a day, we've seen what the numbers are showing as we hit our targets. If it drops below that for two or three days, all of a sudden we get behind, we have a hard time catching up and our, our numbers go down. We're not, we're not turning around work as quickly as we should. So then we start, we know we have a, a there's a time something about the the capacity our capacity to work is is driving this. So then we came up with some hypotheses around okay well if we get X hours of of time that we can free up you know, from types of from waste or something that gets us back time that we can then deploy on getting the real work done you know right the first time. Um, and so I took the the group down that path got their input um, they helped put together about. I don't know, about 10 different hypotheses that we had to to test. Those became the goals. So, for example, one might have been gain, you know, try to find 5,000 hours of hidden capacity in our production area. That's the goal. And with that, there were different activities. And each of those activities had their own their own A3 that they were going through, um, running experience for. Okay, yes, we think this is here, but how are we actually going to capture it? Um, so, one example I like to use for those was we my group was also kind of like a call center. So we had our main call center, but then we were, we were like this embedded call center specific to deposits that um, internal employees could call, not external customers, but internal employees could call. Um, and we were covering the phones. You know, we had to cover West Coast. So our phone lines are open 
uh, from 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. Um, Central Time, so we could get our West Coast customers later in the day. Well, we did some analysis and found that the calls we were getting for between 5 p.m. and 7 p.m. our time were very simple tasks that our that could be handled within our systems very easily by the call centers, the main call center staff, and they could be easily trained how to do it. <clears throat> and so we engaged them in saying, hey, uh, in this, this analysis here, you know, we, we're trying to find time in our area um, to where if we don't have to have these lines staffed those two hours, we get back time um, that we can use to do other stuff. Um, and the call center is already open to 9 p.m., so it's not like they're asking more people to come in. It would only be maybe a handful of calls a night, so they wouldn't even feel it. Um, yeah, sure, let's do that. So that was an easy win, freed up two hours a day for us um, to go do something else. Um, there's another uh, example of someone was doing this monthly report that took her literally about eight hours to do it. So she would do it, you know, the first two business days of the month after the month ending that she was doing the report for. And one day I sat down with her because she's like, oh, I don't know if we need to do this report. Okay, so let's just walk through it. How do you do this? And it was it was almost kind of mind numbing watching her crunch all these numbers. And I'm like, this can't be like everything we have is in a computer. Why are we doing all this manual number crunching? Um, so she walked me through it. And then I asked, well, what do you do with this when you're done? And she said, well, I sent it off to about five people. Um, and it was something around like our chargebacks and recoveries. And I go, OK, well, do you know what they do with it? No, she goes, because I'm pretty sure we already have a more automated process that happens elsewhere okay <clears throat> so we reached i told her let's let's reach out to these individuals who get this and ask them like how do you use this and no one responded <laughs> um and so I, I told her you know what let's do this so this next month that's upcoming go ahead and create the, the reports i know go ahead and Just you know, don't waste send it the out. eight hours don't yeah. send it out and we'll see what happens she goes okay and so we didn't send it out crickets didn't hear anything so we just stopped doing it <laughs> so there there's now a day back a month that one person gets that she can then focus on other, other things and that's what i really found is when i started engaging the team they came up with ideas like that that were pretty simple it didn't require us to go buy new technology we didn't have to go get a consultant to help us there was no massive process changes it was just more about let's just stop doing the stuff that we really don't need to do and then use that time to get back to then you know solve the harder problems um, or, or just get our day jobs done. Wow, what a great story. I really like that story. Now, I've got a question. I'm going to kind of throw a different curve at you just because it's my own interest personally. But, you know, if you if you get into healthcare, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of things that surprise people when you pull the curtains back. Uh, and and uh, Dr. H.F. Mason just referenced that a few seconds ago when, when one of our engineers came from FedEx and uh, there was new discoveries, new learnings about things that the average uh, uh, patient may not realize that go on behind the scenes, but there's also a tremendous amount of changes that are occurring. If you uh, if you read much or around healthcare, there's things like healthcare at home, uh, a lot more virtual things occurring. But one of the things I've always asked myself about the banking services, and I've never figured out, is in the town I live at, they always feel like they're building another bank. <laughs> there always seems to be another bank being built. Is that purely a marketing need or because I would think that stuff would be so digitized today that I, mean, I couldn't tell you the last time I've stepped in a bank. 
you're, you're seeing actual bank branches being built and opened. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. It it is kind of a market thing. So you have some banks though. So you have your community banks, and they'll call themselves, and they tend to be more high touch, um, in person um, uh, banks, or you have some of the more uh, you know, we have the fintechs now who are offering banking services, but they aren't actually banks themselves, and you interact with them totally online or over the phone. Um, so yeah, depending on the market, depending on what customer an organization is trying to target, might lead them to having more physical presence in an area. Um, I just saw a headline the other day where I think last year uh, there were uh, X number, I don't know if it was a thousand branches closed, but or sorry, 4,000 branches closed, but 1,000 new ones open. So a net reduction of 3,000 branches. So obviously some banks were feeling in some markets they need that physical presence. Now there's, you know, not so much and so they'll either, um, you know, if they're leasing those buildings, they'll just let the lease expire and then and then move out or they'll they'll um, sell the building off, depending on what, what works for, for them. But yeah, it, it does kind of come down to the markets, how they present themselves to their customers and if they feel that they need that physical presence there in that area. And similar to healthcare, I, I've seen and read a lot about, um, you know, just bank consolidation. It's happened a lot in our area, and you were talking about fintech. I know the, the bank I was using that didn't have a physical presence has now been um, bought twice uh, by, by two other people, and I keep getting a new debit card in the mail. Uh, but just, just curious as to how... Um, you know, because, you know, whenever, you know, some of these new mergers and acquisitions happen, some of this consolidation, there's a lot of change that occurs. Uh, some new efficiencies created, but we do lose a lot um, at the same time and have to recreate new processes. How is that? Um, how has the continual improvement in the financial services sector uh, fared with that consolidation? Um, well, I can speak from my experience. So the company I work for is, is known as... Um, being highly acquisitive, we, we buy other banks um, as part of our growth strategy. And so we have a very mature M&A, what I'll call, you know, there's multiple processes, but a, a mature M&A practice. Um, and it's, you know, has a playbook, lots of documentation. Here's how we do this. Here's how we map systems between organizations so they can come over onto our systems. And, you know, they, they have a process for engaging the uh, the employees of the institution that we're going to be purchasing and um, figuring out where they where they're going to fit and um, you know and we've actually gotten pretty good feedback on on uh, institutions that haven't purchased by us that you know we we they've gone through other acquisition activities they've not been so pleasant and you know we're it's never easy but we've gotten pretty good feedback on that we do a pretty good job um, but that whole process has been done over the past couple of maybe two three decades as we've been doing that. As they do each one, they kind of figure out what didn't work, and then let's improve that, and then do that in the next one. And then so every time we do it, we just get better and better. So overall, um, continuous improvement has been a big part of that. And I wouldn't say it's um, lean. Um, I guess it depends on what your definition of lean is, but they just they they know that they have to get better at that every each and every time. Um, so that that's been really very. very well done, I, I believe, on, on that front. Um, but they've also considered that they, they know there's an impact on these new customers that are coming in. You, you mentioned you get a new debit card every time they uh, yeah. they get purchased. Um, 
Yeah, that, that is one thing. Like, what's the customer impact of this? Yes, it's not the employees are not going to come over and they're going to have new processes, new systems to work in. But now these customers are now instead of getting a uh, you know statements from ABC Bank, they're now getting statements from XYZ Bank. Well, who's XYZ Bank? Um, get the new debit card, new branding, you know, new disclosures, whatever they might need to get. Um, you know, or if it's a bank that has a physical presence in their area, well, now they no longer see that bank's logo in the building. It's this new logo. Um, well, who are you guys? Um, there, there is a lot of that where you know it's it, you're you're managing. You know, in a hospital, you're managing looking out for people's physical health and, and well-being. At a at the bank, it's their financial well-being, and it's very personal to them. Um, so, who is this company that now has my money or is going to have my money? Um, so, you have to account for that as well. How do you, how do you engage them through that that change and help them through it? Because they're probably going to have to interact with the new company in a, in a different way as well. Kyle, I wanted to. Uh talk to you a little bit about the people side uh you know the the two pillars of lean are respect for people and and continuous improvement and i can imagine when you came in as an outsider there may have been a little bit of pushback when you were trying to change these processes and how did how did you win them over and and you know then you took it to your own department and and how has that spread throughout uh, your organization yeah, so when I first came here, yes, I I might have been a little bit like a bull in a china shop, um, trying to push change. Um, but I, I through that I realized I, I needed to create allies um, and get people who are internal to the company to kind of champion this stuff. And so I learned early on to just ask questions. Um, if we were ever struggling to make a decision or what should we do, well, let's go find some facts that can maybe help point us in a direction that was what we need to do. Um, like I mentioned earlier, creating a value stream map that shows you know, the, the minutes that something actually spends in process versus the days it spends waiting um, are very helpful in just spurring action to to make improvement. Um, and then when I went on to manage my own department, it was, um, you know, a lot of the same thing. You know, I had to kind of pull it out of them because they weren't used to giving ideas and having them implemented. It, it wasn't because of their past manager. It was just that was not the... I came in knowing like this is what I need. I think we need to do. We need to improve this department um, to to better serve our customers. And so then once they, you know, a couple small ideas got implemented and they were realizing, oh, things actually change. Well, then all of a sudden a lot more people started talking um, and they came up with even new and better ideas. Um, but that all just became because I, I asked the questions before and and then I. I did what I said I was going to do. If it's something within my control to make the change, we did it. If we needed to go engage another department or two to get their buy-in, we did it. Um, and so as I saw that, it kind of just snowballed. Well, Kyle, I just want to say thank you so much. You know, as we come to the end of the podcast, thank you so much for coming on this uh, podcast. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I know I've personally listened to you multiple times on Gimba Academy's uh, podcast with Ron Piera. And and just thank you so much for the work you're doing. Uh, you, you made my day. Uh, let me know that you learned something from uh, creating an effective management system. So that was uh, very, very thankful for that. And so just on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, I just want to say a big thank you so much for the really important work that you're doing, my friend. Yep. Thanks for having me on. And I appreciate the work y'all are doing down there too. Um, the very important work and I'm glad to see that we're getting getting doctors engaged in it and and figuring out how we can you know improve everywhere every, every day thanks a lot Kyle there you go